bodies, being still united with Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Now, if you were to go up to one of your unbelieving friends or relatives and say, what do you think the benefits are of death? What do you think they would say? Well, they'd probably look at you, you know, kind of cross-eyed, and um, they'd probably think you're crazy. And many of them would say, well, there are no benefits. I mean, death is death. I might fear it. They wouldn't know what to say, maybe. But uh, some of you remember in the Ray Comfort series, the evangelism class we had, uh, he would always ask them, or mostly he would, uh, most of the time he'd ask them, you know, he'd go through the Ten Commandments and he'd say, have you met all those? No. And, and uh, you know, according to that uh, standard, would, you know, how would God judge you? Would you go to heaven or hell? Most people would say hell. But I remember one guy, uh, big, really big guy. I don't know, Ray Comfort really talked to some big, mean-looking guys. But this guy said, this is hell. And he kind of looked around him like that. And, uh, you know, as I thought about that, it's funny that that came to mind, but I think he's a good example of a fool because he made light of hell, probably because he, he probably does really believe there is one and he doesn't want to go there, but he made light of a place that is an actual place and he made light of, of a place that is terrible beyond our comprehension. And uh, he may wish for an escape into nothingness, but he has a soul which will continue to exist and no amount of wishing will change the fact that he will continue to exist somewhere, and there is a place of punishment. In 2 Thess 1.9, it says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. So some unbelievers might say, you know, death is an escape from the pains of the world. Uh, but that's not the case for those who do not trust in Jesus. But for believers... Believers in the Lord Jesus, there's great hope, eternal hope. And there are great benefits, incomprehensible in their glory for us. First of all, it said, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. Now, all of us would admit, admit that we are far from perfection in holiness, uh, even though the Lord is graciously working in us to sanctify us through his word and his spirit. In Hebrews 12, 23, it says, this is a, a rather long quote, but it starts out saying, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. This is what we are coming to. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So we're coming to the spirits of just men made perfect. Our brothers and sisters that were listed in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 talked about the great cloud of witnesses. These are our brothers and sisters who have died in the Lord, and they have been, and we will be, made perfect in holiness. Praise God. And secondly, it says that at death, believers immediately pass into glory. So there's no soul sleep from the time you die until the resurrection. There's no soul sleep. There's no annihilationism. Not going to happen. And there's no purgatory. The atonement of Christ was sufficient, and alone is sufficient. Thomas Vincent, a Puritan pastor, in commenting on this question and answer, uh, talked about three things. He said, there's a glorious place that we're coming into, there's a glorious company that we will meet, and then there's a glorious state or a condition that we will be in. And uh, the glorious place, John 14, 12, Jesus declared, I go to prepare a place for you, and since the Lord of creation, Lord of all creation, is preparing a place for his own children, don't you think it'll be a wonderful place? Paradise restored. Secondly, the glorious company. 
Hebrews 12.23, I just read, we will join the spirits of just men made perfect. And also it says we'll join an innumerable company of angels. And then finally, the glorious state, the condition that we'll be in, Revelations 14.13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So we're coming to a state of rest and joy, enjoyment of our Lord and of our reward because our works will follow us. Thomas Watson, another Puritan pastor, likened our, uh, the time for saints on earth. He called us apprentices. And I thought that was a good illustration. You know what an apprentice was? There was a certain time that essentially they were indentured slaves and they had a time they had to work. And uh, you know, he said, that's the way we are. Uh, and you know, they look forward to that time of freedom. And he said, when saints are out of their time of living, they are made free. So our apprenticeship would be over at that point. So we're apprentices now, bound somewhat by sin. But after death, we are then free from the power and presence of sin. And this apprenticeship has a purpose, of course. And John Piper, in his book, Taste and See, this is one of my favorite quotes in that book, he talked about life being a vapor. And so does the word, of course. And he said, this life is a vapor's breath of eternity, of preparation for eternity. That's what this life is, our vapor's breath of preparation for eternity. And God's preparing us to enjoy him forever. And Paul realized the benefits of, uh, at death for a believer. In Philippians 1, he said, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet, what shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And in the words of the uh, institution of this communion celebration, we say every week, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we prepare, we are proclaiming his death and uh, that he died for us and we died in him. And we're proclaiming that he rose again and that we rose in him victorious. He rose to newness of life. And that he's coming again to take us to the place he is preparing for us. And to close, before I pray, I'd like to uh, read two verses of a song. This will be the final song today. It's called In Christ Alone, one of my favorite songs. And I'd like to read just the last two. And this will put it in our minds for later, but uh, I thought it was appropriate for thinking about uh, the believer at death. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. I hope we really shout that out when we sing it today. Bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he arose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And the final verse, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are preparing a place for us, Lord Jesus, an eternal home. And we praise you for dying and rising again so we might enjoy the great company of your children forever and for the glorious state and condition in which we will live, in rest and in enjoyment of you. Lord, forgive us for fearing death. We want to have an eternal perspective as we prepare for your call and your coming. You are coming again. Hallelujah.
Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.